I guess at least for the third time, we do want to welcome you, especially if you're visiting. And as was mentioned earlier, we, I know we do have visitors here today, uh, even on a snow day. I looked outside a minute ago, and it's not that bad. It's just a little bit of snow flurries going on, so I don't think anybody's going to have trouble later to, to leave. If you do, we've got plenty of room. You can just stretch out on a, on a chair and get comfortable, I suppose. But we are glad that you're here. And uh, we know John and Sharina have been out of town last week attending a funeral, and we're glad you guys are back safe. And as you've probably heard or seen in the bulletin, uh, uh, Bernadine Ferguson passed away a day or so ago, and her funeral is going to be tomorrow. And um, we've got a lot of people who are not well, so please continue to remember them in your prayers. Uh, sometimes we're, we're a big enough church, and we're smaller today than normal, but we're a big enough church that sometimes it's hard to keep in contact and to be aware of all the different people and all the different needs they have. And, but don't feel overwhelmed and like you're responsible for everybody. But, but do feel responsible for the ones you know, the ones you, you're in small group with, or the ones you go to class with, or the ones you sit around. Uh, because we are supposed to be a family. Part of the job as a family is to take care of the people around us. One of the great, great blessings that we do have is that whenever God comes into our lives and does good things for us, that one of the things He blesses us with is people who love us and who care about us. And often it's, it's to the degree to which we're willing to invest in others that we feel invested in ourselves. And if you take a moment with me to consider how it is you got here in the first place, I, I think you will remember that it was because someone cared about you enough to invest in you. I don't mean how you got here to East Point, and I don't mean necessarily why you're sitting in this particular building this particular morning, but I'm talking specifically to those of you who believe, those of you who consider yourselves believers in God, followers, disciples of Jesus. How did you get here? Was it, was it by watching some televangelist on TV? Maybe, but not likely. Was it simply through some Bible study or correspondence course? Maybe. Was it because you, you, you just happened to be walking in the old book Samillion and picked up a Max Lucado book and loved it? Maybe. But it's probably because of someone. You probably got a name, don't you? Is there a name in your mind of why you're here? Maybe it was a, a parent or a grandparent. Maybe it was a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse. Maybe it was a neighbor or a co-worker. Someone you knew. Someone who knew you well enough to, to have an impact on you so that maybe you, you brought up the question, why are you like that? Or maybe they were brave and, and not just had an impact, but maybe they told you about what God had done for them in their lives. I'm not going to come around and ask you who it was, but I would like, just for curiosity's sake, for you to raise your hand if you can think of someone like that who impacted your life for God. That's what I guessed. All right. it's, it's not often I'm right, so <laughs> I need verification, visual verification every now and then. So that's good. Almost everybody has someone like that in our lives. What I want to do is a couple things today. First thing I want to challenge you to do, we're going to pray for that, those people in a moment. And I want to challenge you if you have the opportunity, if those people are still around, to say thank you, to let them know. Tell them or call them or write them a letter. Do something that lets them know how important 
they and their influence has been in your life. What a blessing that is. So let's tell God thank you for them. Our Heavenly Father, there's so many different things for which we could say thanks. We've told you this morning already how grateful we are for your word, for your fellowship, for the sacrifice of Jesus, for the forgiveness of our sins that comes because of his great love and because of your unending mercy. But Lord, we want to take a special moment to thank you for those people who have, through bravery and because of their love, have told us and shown us what you're like. So grateful to you for putting them in our lives. We pray that you will bless them, that you will will give them just an extra portion, an extra abundance of blessings because of all that they've done for us. Lord, we also ask you that we can then multiply that good and do for others what you've done for us. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. That's the first thing I want you to do, is to say thanks. Second thing I want you to do, as we sit here for a few minutes together, is ask yourself another question. Dave asked us all to to ask ourselves why we come or don't come to class. and Here's another one for you. If there's someone in our life who have touched us in some significant way that changed our life, caused us to live our lives differently now for God, then why don't we tell anybody about what God has done for us? Now I do want you to answer. I'm not going to come around and ask everybody, and I didn't tell anybody I was going to ask this, so you're all kind of on the spot. And I usually pick on that side of the room, so I'm going to pick on this side of the room today. But if I have any volunteers, what are some reasons that you guys think we don't talk to people about God? You're one of our shepherds. I can pick on you. (laughs) I think sometimes we feel nobody needs Jesus, nobody cares. Okay. Thank you. Sometimes we're bashful. Sometimes we're afraid we'll be rejected, maybe even ridiculed. Okay. Why else? Anybody over here? Bob took mine. Bob took yours? Yeah, <laughs> nice. But basically, I, I think it's intimidation sometimes, or maybe sometimes we don't feel like we're up to the task of teaching somebody. Maybe we don't know ourselves why we believe. Okay. Yeah, and I think those are good answers. And I think if I kept weaving around all these rows, we could get some more. But before long, we'd start hitting the same ones, and others would get our answers too. I think there are a variety of reasons, and three of the big ones in my mind all have to do with fear. I think sometimes that we don't talk to anybody about Jesus. We don't tell people about the good God has brought into our lives because I think often we're afraid that someone said we don't know enough. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm going to ask the question so you can think about it in your own mind. I mean, do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel intimidated? Like, I can't tell people because I just don't know enough. Others sometimes, I think, I think at times we can be afraid because we feel like we just don't make a very good witness. No one will believe us. Sometimes we're afraid because we're not sure the reaction we're going to receive. Are people going to laugh? Are they going to ridicule us? Are they going to just dismiss us? Will they no longer be our friend? 
I think we're afraid for a lot of different reasons. But what we have to remember is that part of the mission that we have from God includes telling people about the good that He's done in our lives. And I'm, I'm assuming that that's a given. I, I'm assuming, based on that, I'm talking predominantly here this morning to Christians, to believers, that we agree and understand that a key element within the mission that God gives His people is to be a people who proclaim, who declare, who describe to the world around us the kinds of things that God has done for us. Now, if, if that's a bad assumption, if you hear that and you think, well, no, that's just for preachers, or that's just for elders, or that's just what missionaries do, or, or that's just what people with a particular gift do, then t- come and talk to me later, because I don't want to take a lot of time, or really much of any time today, to defend this point. But if you disagree with me, if you don't think that part of your role in life is to help other people see and understand God, then come and talk to me, please, and let me prove it. Let me defend my point. But what I want you to see today, what, I, what the end result I desire for this particular lesson is for you to walk away from it understanding, believing that God can use you as an effective witness to the good that He has done in your life. You don't have to have a theology degree. You don't have to have a whole list of Bible verses or any Bible verses memorized in order to tell people about the good that God has done in your life. You simply need to be aware that God has changed you. And then you need to be willing to live it and then to be able to describe it. Are any of you skeptical about that? Because as I look around the room, I see a head shake here and there, but I, I see some others that look mm, skeptical. I'm not saying that, that Bible degrees are unimportant. I'm not saying that knowing Bible verses and memory verses and things like that are unimportant. Those, those are incredibly good. There's a time and a place where those things are incredibly valuable. But what I'm saying is that Jesus can without a doubt use you if you recognize that He has changed your life. Here's a biblical example. How many of you have ever heard of the Apostle Paul? Sure, almost all of us have. He started out, though, as a Pharisee named Saul, right? And when, when he was Saul, he was so devoted to his beliefs. He was so sure that this Jesus and those who followed him were a fraud that he was a persecutor of the church, to use his own words, from one of his letters in the New Testament. And he talked about how one time he was a violent persecutor and he went from place to place throughout the empire dragging people to prison because of their faith in Jesus. And not only did he help to imprison people who were themselves disciples of Jesus, but he stood by, it tells us in Acts, as a man named Stephen was stoned to death. And Paul stood by, I don't mean just disapproving, I mean he stood by approving that this man was being killed because of his faith in God. But what happened to Paul? When he became changed, transformed, converted, what did he do with the rest of his life? Did he live differently? Not only did he live differently for himself, 
But didn't he tell people about God? I mean, didn't he go all over the place telling people about the good that God had done? Sure he did. But some of you are smart. <laughs> all of you are smart. Let me back up. All of you are smart. And some of you, though, are thinking ahead and thinking, yeah, but like you said, Paul was a Pharisee. Not just any old Pharisee. He was a good, upright Pharisee. He said so himself. He was religiously ex- executed, educated, educated. He could probably quote the Torah. The first five books of the Bible, he could probably quote. So you say, well, of course Paul could go and tell people about God. He had all the answers. No, he didn't. But if you think Paul doesn't work, if you think that's a bad example, I'll guarantee it. You and I are not Paul. But you know what else we're not? You're also not a half-crazed lunatic running around naked, living in the cemetery. At least not anymore, Dave. So. <laughs> but even if you were a half-crazed lunatic running around naked, living in the cemetery, if Jesus got a hold of you, He could turn you into a witness for God. you believe me? If you don't, listen to this story and I'll prove it. This is a story recorded for us by the gospel writer named Luke. It comes in Luke chapter 8. It starts in verse 26. If you've been reading through your Bible in the Gospel of Luke, as I hope you have, as we've been working through this sermon series, we're not covering every verse, we're not covering every story. So I'm skipping some that are good. But if you've been reading through the Gospel of Luke each week, then what you've noticed is that Luke goes to great lengths early on in this Gospel to tell us about the ministry of Jesus. He tells us who Jesus is, what his genealogy is, about his baptism, about his temptations, about how he goes into Nazareth and he stands up in the synagogue and he declares... I am announcing to you today that this is the year of the Lord's favor. The great gospel of God that the kingdom had come near and then he begins to show us what that looks like. Part of how Jesus shows people in that day how that looked like is by mighty works of power. Healing people of fevers and blindness and lameness and muteness. Healing them of disease. Fixing their bodies. Raising them from the dead. That's already happened in this gospel account. And just before we get to this passage, it tells us about how Jesus had been working over in Capernaum in Galilee, in in, uh, Jewish areas. But then he and his disciples, they got on a boat and they began to cross the sea. And you had that magnificent story of how Jesus and his disciples are in this small boat. It's jam-packed with 13 of them in here. And there's a wicked storm. And how Jesus is sleeping and they wake him up because these sea-hardened fishermen... Many of them are afraid they're going to die. And how Jesus wakes up and he he stills the storm with his voice. And the people in the boat say, who is this? Who can stop the wind and waves with word? Jesus is going about showing his incredible power. He's been all over the region, but now he's moving to a new place. Now he's going across the sea into an area they, they called the Decapolis, a place where there were some Jews who lived, 
but these were mostly Hellenistic Jews. That means they weren't good, strong people of Abraham, faithful believers practicing the law. That means these people were basically Romans with Jewish lineage. He's now moved over to Gentile territory. He's taking the gospel of God to new places, places his own people wouldn't have expected. Part of the reason some of his own people tried to kill him. And when he gets there, as soon as he steps out of the boat, something unexpected happens. And so then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. And for a long time, he had worn no clothes. And he had not lived in a house, but had lived among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell down before him and he said with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had already commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized the man and he was kept under guard and he was bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. You've never seen anything like that, have you? I haven't either. When modern or postmodern people read these stories, we're often skeptical. And we think, ah, that was a fable from a long time ago. Those are crazy epileptics. I can't even say the word. Those were people with strange maladies and interesting diseases and blah, blah, blah. What I want you to see, though, is what Jesus does and the change that occurs in the life of this man. And I want, you to, I want you to imagine or try to understand what it's like for this man. Here's a man from the city who used to be, let's, I'm going to presume, just like one of us. Doesn't tell us much about him. Doesn't even tell us his name. So just here's your name. Doesn't tell us if he had a family. Doesn't tell us what his job was. Just a man of the city who finds himself demon-possessed. And not just a little bit, apparently. Not just an occasional fit. But this man is, is so bad that, that he, runs around, he runs around naked. That they, they continually drive him out of the city. No one wants this guy around. They push him out, push him out, push him out to the only place he can go is the tombs. Find shelter in those caves with, those, with the dead. And the people in the city become so afraid, so disgusted, that they can't kill him. He's too strong for that. But they take him and they bind him and they shackle him and they, they have him under guard way outside the city in the tombs. Imagine, imagine what that's like. To be that outcast. And we said before that Luke is a gospel for the outcast. That Luke cares about the poor and the weak and the cast off, the dirty, the unclean, the underprivileged. Well, this is just about as dirty, unclean, and underprivileged and cast off as you can possibly get for this, this Gentile who's demon-possessed. And he finds himself there at the feet of Jesus, and, and he knows who he is because these demons know who the Son of God is. And so he calls out and he says, Don't torment me! because Jesus has already told the demon to come out. So Jesus said to him, well, what is your name? Because it, it, even, in, even in 
modern talk about demonology or things like that, which we don't really talk about very much here. But even in, in modern, even in the movies, right? Any of you ever seen exorcism movies? I mean, what's one of the key things that the priest always has to know if he's going to cast something out? He always has to know the name, right? Well, and part of the reason that you still see that carried on in the movies is because in the ancient world that was popular belief amongst those people. That if you knew the name of the demon, you had some sort of power over the demon. Some suggest that that's even the reason that these demons called out the name of Jesus. Because, see, not only did, did Satan do battle with Jesus in the wilderness, not only did he put him through temptations, we're making a huge mistake if we think that those 40 days were the only time of fasting and trouble that Jesus ever saw. Because the devil was always after Jesus, always after Jesus' witness. And so this man, this powerful man, calls out the name of Jesus, and apparently it does absolutely no good. So Jesus said, tell me your name. And he said, my name is Legion. For many demons, the text says, had entered him. A Roman legion was between 5,600 and 6,000 men. It doesn't necessarily imply that there are 6,000 demons in this guy, but there's a lot. And they begged him, but they begged Jesus not to command them to depart into the abyss. And now there was a large herd of pigs feeding there on the hillside, and they, they begged Jesus to let them enter the pigs. And so he gave them permission, and the demons came out of the man, and they entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. Crazy story. And when the herdsmen, the people from that area, saw what had happened, they, they fled. We don't say they fled. I mean, they ran fast. And they told it in the city, and they told it in the country. And people came out to see what had happened. And when they came out, they, say, they saw Jesus, and, and they found the man from whom the demons had come, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Imagine this. Imagine for a moment you're still that man. And Jesus had, has freed you of this influence of Satan, freed you of those demons, however that works. And you have come back to your senses. And here you are. I got nails dirty, nasty, cracked, hair long and scraggly, haven't had a shave in months, and you're naked. And someone there gives you their clothes. And you're sitting here with a man who has just changed your life. Not just a little. And you're, you're aware of these hundreds of pigs who have just drowned themselves in the lake. And you're aware that when this happened, all the people watching the pigs ran off. And, and now this crowd comes back. And if, and if it was me, I'd, I'd be frightened. So I'm sitting there, and you're sitting there by Jesus, clothed and in your right mind for the first time in who knows how long. What are you thinking? Or you're the townspeople, and you've heard this unbelievable story, and you all rush out to go see if it's really true. 
And you get there and indeed, the, the hillside is empty. The pigs are gone. They're, they're floating in the sea. And, and you see this man, still unshaven, sitting at the feet of this Jesus. And you look at him and you look again. Is there any way in the world that that's old that's old Tombstone Joe? And when the people came out to see what happened, they came to Jesus and they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at his feet, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to, to leave. For they were seized with great fear. It's a sad story, isn't it? Jesus makes a move into Gentile country to bring the good news of God to the Gentiles. And he shows them the power of God by, by liberating, by freeing, by rescuing this man, by giving him his life back. And the town is horrified. And they don't say, give us some more of that. Tell us how that happened. Can you, can you come to my house? My, my mother is sick. But instead they say, sir, please, please, just go back to the other side of the lake. But what I want you to see really is what Jesus did with that man. So all the people asked Jesus to leave because they were afraid. And so Jesus got back into the boat and he began to return. And the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might go with Jesus. Wouldn't you? If Jesus had taken you from dirty and naked, from running around, sleeping in the tombs, healed you, given you your life back, and, and you're standing here on the eastern edge of the sea and there's nothing but water, but on the other side you know that's where Jesus is going. And over here, sure, there's a town and you might even have family and you might have those who were once your friends. But you're thinking about where you've been, who you've been, and how these people look at you. Where would you want to go? Back to that? Or with the one who saved you? the one who saved me. is where I'd want to go. Just like this man. That's why it says he begs Jesus. Let me go back with you. Let me be one of your disciples. And when I read that text, if I try to imagine it as the first time, I imagine, what an ending! Jesus has a convert. We talk about the need to go and tell. We talk about the need to be missionaries in our own lives. About, about the mission of God to reach people with His good news. And we think, it happened. We just saw it. And so we expect now Jesus to have another full-blooded disciple at his back. We don't expect Jesus to say no. Seems strange. But the guy says, please, please, let me go with you back to Galilee. Jesus says no. Why? Why? Do you think it was because he was a Gentile? It wasn't Jew? I don't think so. 
Do you think it was because he doesn't know enough of the Torah? He doesn't know enough of the law? He can't, rec- he can't recite the Ten Commandments? I don't think that's... Do I think he could recite those things? No. Do I think that's why he told the guy to go back home? No. Because it tells us why he told the guy to go back home. He said, Jesus, let me go with you. I love you. I trust you. I feel safe around you. Jesus said, go back home and tell everybody about the good that God has done in your life. And the text says he did. He went back to the city and he began to declare the good that Jesus had done for him. A man who just hour before cutting himself, beating himself naked in the tombs. If Jesus can invade and transform a life like that and turn a man like that into a missionary to a people who are too afraid of Jesus to welcome him into their city. To a people who had cast this man out, who had chained him and thrown him into the cemetery to live. If Jesus, if His power is transforming enough to take a man like that and make him an effective witness in his own place to his own people who knew what he once was like, but can now see the change of God in his life, then I'm convinced that God can use me and that God can use you. We often talk about wanting to follow Jesus, wanting to do what Jesus does, but maybe we have some grand idea in our mind of going overseas or going to some far land that, that that's what missions is, that that's what ministry is. But if Jesus was here today, I don't suspect that He would sign us all to go teach English in China, that He would send all of us to go and, and help the poor children in Noe. I don't suspect He would send us all to all those different places. You know what He would say to the vast majority of us here today? He'd say, go home. And tell those people about the good that God has done in your life. He'd say, go home. To those people who knew what you used to be like. And tell them that this is what God has done for me. Pray with me one more time. Our Holy Father, as we think about your word, as we, as we meditate on your message, dear Lord, we always pray that we come away from it with the kind of understanding of you that you desire. We pray that, we pray that as you work through your, the spirit that you've given us in our baptism, that you will help us to understand and to grow in wisdom and in knowledge so that we might also have that desire to share you with people around us.
Good God, I can't imagine a much scarier assignment than what Jesus gave that man. But I know each of us have our own story. You know it too. And you know where we're from. You know where we've been. You know we've, we've been changed by you, but Lord, at times we're still afraid that we don't know enough. We're afraid that people won't believe us. Or we're afraid that even if they do, that, that they won't listen. And Lord, we see even in this story of Jesus that even when Jesus did great things, they sent him away. Lord, we understand there's great risk in telling people about you. Just as there's great risk in giving our lives to you as we've done when we were baptized. So we ask you now to help us as we, as we try to be your disciples. Please strengthen us and encourage us. Give us faith. Please work through us. Please fill us up with your own spirit so that as we go back and try to make a difference in the lives of the people around us so they will see you living through us and that then we can tell them that you and your kingdom have come to give us not just forgiveness, but hope and peace and grace. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Jesus said to go. If we can help you to be prepared to share Jesus with the world, we want to. There are those of us here who, who are educated and trained and equipped to do that, to help to prepare you to make a difference in the lives of those you love. If you don't know how to do it, if you don't know how to start it, come and ask us. Ask me. Ask John. There's so many different people you can come and ask. And, and we can help you work through those issues. We can even stand beside you or, or walk alongside you as, as you try to interact with the people in, in your own hometown, so to speak. If there's any need that you have, we want to help if we can. Come forward and let us know as we stand together and sing.